Well, it's been four weeks since the barbaric Hamas attack on Israel. People keep asking me, how you doing? How do you feel? Well, stay with me. And in just a moment, I'll tell you. Hello, friends. Welcome to Open Line with Dr. Michael Wright Elmer. This is Moody Radio's Bible Study Across America. My name is Michael Rydelnik. I'm the academic dean, and I'm also professor of Jewish studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute. I am so glad to be sitting around the radio kitchen table with you, taking your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. So, if you have a question, it's always the best time to call, right at the start of the program. Our phone number here is 877 548 3675. That's 877-548-3675. Trish is sitting in the chair today. She's our producer handling all things technical, Courtney Young and Bob, and also Laura's answering the phones. Now, go get your cup of coffee, open your Bible, because we're about to study the scriptures together. But before we do, let me tell you how I've been feeling. When Hamas attacked Israel, I saw all the public statements of solidarity with Israel, and I still wasn't all that encouraged. And the reason was, in a week or two, I thought, when Israel fulfills its biblical responsibility as a government to pick up the sword, so to speak, and punish evil and protect their innocent, the world will turn on Israel. Sure enough, this past week, there's been dramatic turn against Israel. False charges of genocide, of targeting civilians, are stated as fact. When Islamic Jihad launched a faulty rocket a couple weeks ago, against Israeli civilians, mind you, that failed and then it falls instead in a Gaza hospital's parking lot, Israel was blamed. It was said that Israel had a missile attack against the hospital. And when it's been proven that it was not Israel, people say, well, we want to believe it's Israel. I've heard a lot of people say, well, I believe it's Israel anyway. So here's my biblical response that I keep thinking in my head as I hear these things. It's from Isaiah 520. It's, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The way people are doing this is I think sometimes they, well, many times they fix false blame. The biggest issue right now are all the civilian casualties in Gaza. I see it in the newspapers. I hear people speaking about it, and it is terrible. My heart is breaking. My One of my key prayers, chief prayers, when this all started was that the civilians of Gaza would listen to Israel and go to the south to a place of safety. And two-thirds of those living in the north of, north of Gaza did. But Hamas actually issued a call for people to stay. They've been on TV saying, we want to have martyrs, meaning we want people to die because it looks good for us, for propaganda. They embed in civilian areas. They use civilians as human shields. That's why they embed in hospitals. There's huge tunnel system beneath hospitals, Uh, There are terror tunnels under schools, under orphanages. They do this on purpose 
because what they do is they take legitimate targets for Israel and they put them in civilian places so that uh, there will be human shields to protect them or give them propaganda value. They prevent escape. They Initially, they were setting up roadblocks, not letting people go to the south. Now they will actually shoot those who try to make their way out of Gaza City. It's heartbreaking. There are terrible civilian casualties. And the problem is blaming Israel. It should be Hamas that's responsible. Hamas should receive the blame. I think also I see this calling evil good and good evil when people say, well, you have to understand the context of what Hamas is doing. No, there is no context. There's no justification. But if you knew the history, I do know the history. There is no justification for what they've done. People don't understand that Israel has a responsibility to go to war. Romans 13.4 says it. It says the government has the responsibility. It is a servant of God. It does not wield the sword in vain. It is to punish the, the wicked and protect the innocent. Romans 13.4 compelled Israel to do this. And not that I'm saying that the Israeli government was listening to Romans 13.4, but it's how a believer needs to understand the responsibility of the government. Uh, I've seen calls for the genocide of the Jewish people. When you hear that slogan, from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free, that's from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. What does it mean? It, it means there should be no Jews in Israel. Uh, at, <clears throat> at rallies, people are actually saying, gas the Jews. That's so heartbreaking. There are attacks on Jewish people all over America, all over the world. It's, it's especially on our university campuses. People are calling evil good and good evil. Sometimes university administrators don't even want to speak out about it. You know, as I think about it, I do believe in a free Gaza. I would love to see Gaza free, but I do believe that it will only be free when it is free of Hamas. We need to be really careful now not to call evil good and good evil. It is a true biblical principle. Well, we're going to go to the phones now. Uh, we're going to talk first with Neil in the Quad Cities, listening on WDLM in Iowa. Hi, Neil. How can I help you today? Hello. Thank you for taking Hello. my call. I have enjoyed enjoyed your um, your Bible uh, question answering sessions for many years now, and Great. I Thank finally you. have a question. I think I I could uh, pose. That is, I've been looking for the root cause of things, and uh, one of the things I have uh, been trying to figure out is why did God create the world, and especially mankind. We see him talking about uh, that it was for his glory. We see him talking about multi uh, be fruitful and multiply and populate the earth. He says that twice in Genesis. So why did he create mankind? Do you have any idea? Did you ever think about it? I've been thinking about it and, and wondering why. Is there yeah, a, but you, uh, what a I'm asking is, that, do, you, do you have anything you want to suggest? Um, redeeming souls that can't be redeemed any other way by being sent to earth and, yeah, and having yeah. to uh, choose choose God. 
and his course, ways. Of, of course, you know, he wouldn't have to redeem anyone if he hadn't made anyone. Uh, you know, the Bible never specifically tells us uh, why God made humanity. It seems to me right. that, uh, first of all, God is the, you know, when we think about creativity, God is the ultimate create, creator. He is full of creativity. It was a way for him to yep. express his creativity. Secondly, I believe he wanted fellowship with humanity. He wanted people to love and serve him. And so because of that desire for fellowship, I believe that's why he created humanity. But there's no verse in the Bible that I could say, this is why God made humanity. It seems to me it was his desire for fellowship with us and as an expression of his infinite creativity. That's what it seems like to me. So I hope that and that's helps why he created bit, man know. in his own in his own image. Yeah. 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 That's what I think. So, OK. Thanks Thank for your call. You. I really appreciate it, Neil. Uh, we're going to speak with Anna in Akron, Ohio, listening on WCRF. Welcome to Open Line, Anna. How can I help you? Hi, I was just wondering how I can explain the importance of going to church to my family who is not saved and why mm. it's important for a relationship with God. Because they say, I don't have to go to church to be a good person or yeah. know God. Well, your family doesn't know the Lord? Um, they claim to, but uh, I do not see fruit. Well, well, you know, that's not... Do they profess to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus? Um, no, they just say they believe so. Okay, well, if they're not genuine followers of Jesus, then they don't have to go to church. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews 10.25, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That's directed to believers. If a person mm -hmm. isn't a genuine follower of Jesus, then, you know, they're just going for religiosity and not because of the relationship they have with God and his people. So it seems to me, uh, that, you know, it, it would be better for them to go to church. They, they would hear the good, good news. They might get their, uh, their spiritual life fulfilled. I, I, I think... They, they might come to know the Lord. I think all those are great reasons to go to church, but that's not going to convince them. So uh, I suggest this. First of all, maintain a really good relationship with your family and keep telling them not about going to church, but how the Lord Jesus has changed your life and what he has done for you. Tell your story over and over as best you can about being a genuine follower of Jesus and what the Lord has done for you, how your sins are forgiven, and you know you have confidence with him uh, that, that you'll live with him forever, that you have a forever relationship with God, uh, that the Bible promises abundant life, spiritual strength, uh, and empowerment for those of us who know Jesus, uh, that, that we can have the peace that passes understanding beyond all comprehension in a very tumult tumultuous world. There are many things that the Bible promises. I think just keep talking about that. And if they want to know how to know the Lord, you need to be able to explain to them about how to come to know the Lord. And then, you know, they might say, well, where have you learned all this? You might say, I learned about this 
in my congregation where I go regularly and then recommend that they join you. Uh, it just seems to me that the issue shouldn't be how do I bring them to church, but how do I bring them to the Lord? That's what I would, I would really emphasize. Okay, mm. Anna, does, does that help? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, okay. Hey, I'm so glad you called. We're going to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about more of your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. Phone number here is 877-548-3675. Give us a call if you have a question, and I'll do my best to answer it. We've got a couple of lines open, so now's the time to call. You're listening to Open Line with Michael Ray Dunlick. Stay right there. I'm coming right back. Welcome back to Open Line. So glad that you're listening today. If you have a question about the Bible, God, or the spiritual life, this is the place to come. You know, here's one of the things that I have discovered, that Open Line listeners love resources that help them understand the Bible. And Moody Bible Institute, Moody Publishers, I should say, which is a division of Moody Bible Institute, has a series of Bible commentaries that are designed for everyday people. They're called Everyday Bible Commentaries. They used to be called Every Man's, but they're everyday. They're useful for anyone. They're not for the scholar, although they're really helpful and they're based on good scholarship, but they're really good everyday commentaries. And now one of the books in the New Testament that is most challenging is the book of Romans. It's filled with really important theology. And people are like, well, I'd really like to understand Romans because it's one of the most foundational books in the New Testament, but it's challenging. Well, one of the ways to get over the challenge is to get a copy of our current resource, which is a commentary on Romans by Alan Johnson. And this commentary is just a really helpful book on the book of Romans. Uh, it's a, it's, it'll explain key words. It will show the flow of thought of the book of Romans, how paragraph to paragraph it builds its argument. It also explains the most important theology of the book, the theology of redemption, but there are other theological issues as well. It's a helpful commentary in Romans, and it can be yours when you give a gift of any size to Open Line. It's our way of just saying thanks for your gift. If you'd like a copy of Alan Johnson's Everyday Bible Commentary on Romans, just call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. And remember, when you give, be sure to ask for the Everyday Bible Commentary on Romans. And we're going to go back to the phones now and talk with Roger in northern Minnesota, listening on KBHW. Welcome to Open Line, Roger. How can I help you? Thank you. Um, uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, in Acts 2, uh, Peter and the disciples are speaking to all the people. And uh, um, they, you know, the narrative goes, you, you know this already, but the, the people are saying that to all, how do we hear people in these, you know, in this language, um, they're all drunk. And Peter says, no, we're not drunk. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And I'm wondering, first of all, is Peter saying this is like that or similar to the prophecy of Joel? 
or is he saying today is the day of the start of the prophecy of, of Joel? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. Um, I know of, I know an individual that went to Russia just lately, and oh, uh, oh you know, you know what? Uh, let me just try and answer the question. Okay, is that okay? Thank uh, you. Uh, that's fine. Uh, there's three ways that that this has been interpreted. Some people take the quotation here that this is saying that Joel's prophecy about pouring out his spirit and sons and daughters prophesying, young men seeing visions, old men dreaming dreams, pouring out God's spirit even on everyone and displaying wonders in the sky and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke and the sun being turned to darkness and all that was fulfilled on Acts 2. But the problem with that view is that virtually none of those things happened. Secondly, some people say, well, this is the inauguration of these things, and it will progressively be fulfilled until the end of days, which is what Joel was talking about, the day of the Lord, the tribulation period, and when this would happen. But the thing is, again, it didn't happen. What happened is that the Holy Spirit fell on people, and they spoke by the power of the Holy Spirit in languages that they had not learned, miraculously. So it doesn't seem to have happened. I take a third view, which I've written about in a book called The Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy, uh, and other places, or I, I think, uh, I'm trying to remember all the places where I've written about it, but I've written about it before. Uh, here's what I think it's saying, is it's saying that this is what happens when the Spirit falls, just as what was spoken in the prophet Joel. Remember, they're all saying, these people are drunk, you know, and and uh, they and Peter says, these people are not drunk as you suppose. In fact, this is what was what Joel was speaking about. And this is what I would call an applicational fulfillment. Very common use in the book of Acts is to take an Old Testament verse, find a principle in it, and apply it and say this is a fulfillment. It is applicational fulfillment. They're making an application. Uh, so... For example, I'll just give you another one so you see. Uh, in the previous chapter where it says, let someone else take his position about replacing Judas, that's a quotation from Psalm 109.8. That's really not about Judas. If you go back to Psalm 109, it's talking about wicked men. And it's saying one of the proofs that, that God has disapproved of a wicked man is someone else takes his office. And so they're saying, this is spe- speaking about Judas. Well, it's a principle that they are applying to Judas. Well, this is the principle. When the principle is in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit falls, there's going to be unusual signs. In in the what Joel is talking about is in the tribulation period. They'll be prophesying, dreaming dreams and having visions and uh, signs in the sky because the Holy Spirit has fallen. And so why should we be surprised that these men are speaking in languages they've not learned? They're not drunk. What they are are experiencing the power of the Spirit. So what Peter, I believe, is doing here is making an application from Joel. He's not saying it's a direct fulfillment yet. Okay? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Does I that... can, yeah, I see that now. Okay. Does that help? Yeah, yeah, it does. Thank you. <clears throat> okay. 
Great. Thanks so much for your call. I really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to speak next with William in Duluth, Minnesota, listening on KTIG. Welcome to Open Line, William. How can I help you? Yeah. Hello, Michael, and thank you for taking my call. So perhaps a delicate topic, a delicate mm-hmm. question is where biblically is there guidance or instruction coaching on this idea that Israel can have targeted assassinations and strike out, and the opposition from many sides, they as well can do horrific things. And we're just stuck in this huge war, quagmire, etc. And is well, there any wait, wait, are you are you saying that what Israel is doing now is war or is it targeted assassination? They're doing a variety of things. Well, they're in a, they're in, are they in a war or what? I don't know. Oh, okay. Then I'll tell you. Israel declared war the day after the unprovoked attack by Hamas, the barbaric attack where they took babies and chopped their heads off. They took babies, they put took one baby that I'm aware of and put him in the oven and baked him to death. Uh, Which is awful. Yeah. I've... Okay. They opened fire on a peace festival and killed close to 300 young people. Uh, they oh, raped. So, wait, 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 wait. They raped uh, and murdered people after raping them. They killed families. Uh, now it looks like it, the, in the end there will be about 1,800 uh, people that they murdered. The response, just like the United States after Pearl Harbor, just like uh, Great Britain is in World War II with the Nazis, is to go to war, and they declared war immediately. This is a biblical principle. Here's what it says, Romans 13, 4. For government is God's servant for your good. Notice what the government is. It's God's servant. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. Once again, it says government is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Now, when it talks there about a sword, that's the first century Roman assault weapon. It's not something you would give people a, a slap on the backside with. It is the M16 of the Roman army. And so what it's saying is it doesn't wield the sword in vain. They have to avenge to bring wrath on, on Hamas. They're not looking to kill any civilians. That's why they, what army drops leaflets, sends text messages, calls... Palestinian civilians living in Gaza and tells them to go south because we're going to uh, surround Gaza City in the north and we're going to drive out Hamas, destroy Hamas. The war of Israel is against Hamas, those who perpetrated this. 
it is th- there is no desire whatsoever to uh, hurt civilians. It, this is what happens in war. Here's what happens. Hamas keeps the civilians there so they can have a propaganda tool against Israel. Now, we believers, we sometimes make a mistake. We confuse our personal ethic of non-vengeance, which we shouldn't be vengeful at all. But here, the text says that the government has a responsibility as serving God to to avenge evil. That's what it says, actually, in verse 4 an avenger that brings wrath on one the one that does wrong. So I think it's very important that we not confuse uh, personal ethics with governmental responsibility. Does that give you any clarity, William? It, it does. It mm-hmm. absolutely does. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, yeah. Well, you know, and there's so much to talk about, but I I thought I would try to ask a question that uh, if there was a biblical reference Mm -hmm. and guidance, that would, that's something I need to think about. Yeah, it's another biblical reference is Ecclesiastes 3.8. There's a time for peace and a time for war. Uh, When the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, that was a time for war. For Israel, that attack on October 7th made this a time for war. Heartbreaking. No one likes war. It's heartbreaking. We'll come back with the mailbag in just a moment. This is Michael Radelnik on Open Line. Back. This is Michael Radelnik. I'm so glad that you joined me today for Open Line. Uh, and it's right, right about now. It's time for the Far Eastern Broadcasting Company mailbag, the FEBC mailbag. So glad that uh, FEBC has partnered with us to uh, to help help bring you Open Line. I think that's a good way of putting it. Uh, I love FEBC. They bring the good news into places in the world where we couldn't reach them. They use the media and people listen. Uh, In fact, our own president, Mark Job, his radio program, Bold Steps, is broadcast throughout the FEBC context, reaching many, many people who would never, ever hear the gospel. I'm so grateful for FEBC. And if you want to hear more about all the unreached countries that are being reached through the through the FEBC ministry, all you have to do is is go to febc.org and learn about the weekly podcast called Until All I've Heard. features Ed Cannon, their president, and Wayne Shepard. All the details for this and much, much more about FEBC's extensive outreach can be found at febc.org. That's febc.org. And uh, Tricia, you there with me now? Yes, I am. There we are. Good. Uh, Trisha, I am so, uh, I am so, uh, grateful that, uh, I'm so grateful that you've got the FEBC mailbag here for me, but I wanted to talk with you about something else, if that's okay. Sure. Okay. Now, 
the the a few weeks ago, Wayne Washington was here, and he was asking me how many people are uh, kitchen table partners, and I said around five hundred, based on what you said, and he said we want to get up to a thousand by the end of the year, by next year. And I thought, okay, uh, God's people are generous and maybe they might want to do it. And so today I saw the most recent numbers and it's 603. Woo-hoo! So that, that's like a 20% increase uh, in, in just the last six weeks or so. I am unbelievably grateful for that. Uh, that's just amazing. So I I wanted to, you know, William, I'm sure is listening. I'm saying, okay, William, uh, thank you for the challenge and where our people are listening. But what does it mean to be a kitchen table partner? It means that you have um, thought and prayed about teaming with us to put Open Line on the air, um, that you value this ministry in your life, that you value the Bible study that we do every Saturday morning, or if you listen on the podcast, that you value this time in the Word and studying together and understanding the Scriptures better, and you want to join us around that radio kitchen table, as it were, to study with us and to help support by us. A month, by, by giving a regular monthly yes, gift, right? Yes, yeah. by supporting us monthly. Yeah, and one of the things that I love doing is I do a Bible study moment. Trisha, you're, people don't always hear you. Occasionally they do, but uh, we do the Bible study moments. You're helping produce that, and that's a, a, a brief Bible study people get in their mailbox every other week if they become kitchen table partners. Uh, and Any other benefits that they get from being a kitchen table well, let partner? Me, let me talk about that Bible study moment real quick, because yeah. we did get an email from someone who was like, I don't understand what that is. And it Sometimes there's a topic that Michael is kind of studying through. So we have been going through commonly misunderstood Bible verses or Bible passages um, over the past several weeks. So they come out every other week. Um, There was a time a couple summers ago, I think, that we did like a full 10-part series on um, helpful Bible study tools and resources. And so we talked through kind of a brief overview of what they are. And then each week we went, each um, Bible study moment, then we we honed in on one specific thing. So commentaries, and then gave specific good commentaries mm-hmm. that were helpful, um, or um, atlases, Bible atlases, or dictionaries. Or Bible dictionaries, or different tools like that, that it was a full 10-part series that was a lot of fun to do that Eva and mm-hmm. I were both part of, your wife Eva. Um mm-hmm. And so the three of us were talking about that. We've done a few. You've done a few Christmas-specific ones. You've done. Uh, we've talked about doing, which I hope we do soon, um, a Bible study on Ephesians, going through that. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots we did of the different sermon topics. Sermon on the Mount. Once we went through mm-hmm. the entire yes, sermon on the went through that the Sermon fun. on the Mount, and that was a, yeah. a nice long series that Eve and I were both part of at some point through there. Not mm-hmm. in everyone, but um, the other benefits as a thank you to you is if you give a. Um, you get that every other week as an email audio. Um, you click on the audio that link. you can listen mm. to. Um, you can you also if you give a thirty dollar auto gift. So if it's just set up through your um, bank account Regular to just mm-hmm. automatically do that each month. Um, if it's thirty dollars or more, then you get fifty percent off all Moody Publishers books, um, anything in their resource library at their website. 
Um, and so periodically throughout the year, there will be special like one-time things where you can do that. But as a kitchen table partner, you have that benefit all year long yeah, um, as so long great. as you're giving. Yeah. So, And then when that's you immediately great. sign up, you get a copy of the Romans, not to confuse you, but you get a copy of the Romans. Um, ex, uh, Moody it's, Bible it's Romans from the Moody Bible Commentary. So it is all of Romans. Um, mm. It's all of the Romans commentary taken from the entire Moody Bible Commentary as a print copy of that. Mm-hmm. That is um, different from the Romans thank you gift that we are offering this, this month. This yeah. month. So they're both really good yeah. resources. Yeah. And well, sadly, we used so to have great. we used to have a mug. I mean, like a, a travel mug, and those are all gone. So those well, are no there'll longer. Be something else before too long. Hopefully, yeah. But anyway, yeah. it's a great. It's great. We love um, thanking you for those, and we appreciate your support. Yeah. Anyway, so grateful for it. Anyway, if you'd like to become a kitchen table partner, all you have to do is call eight 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 six four four seven one two two, or uh, you can just go to openlineradio.org. Hey, Trisha, are there any questions this week? Lots of questions. People... There's oh, always okay. questions. Um, okay. This I'm seeing. I've seen a few um, questions about this and comments um, related to what's happening in Israel. And so there was a mm-hmm. question from Chuck in Minnesota who listens to KCFB asking, "Where in the Bible are we asked to pray for Israel?" I hear friends and huh. radio programs urging this, and they'll often say, "You know, the Bible tells us to pray for Israel." Where is that, and what are we supposed to pray for Israel about? Now, I realize there's the current um, situation that's happening, the current war, Mm -hmm. but prior to this even, like, Mm -hmm. people will say, oh, yeah, we're supposed to pray for Israel. Where does it Mm -hmm. say that? They'll say it says that in the Bible, but where does it say that? Psalm 122.6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. And uh, it's, it's speaking there about... May those who love you prosper. May there be peace within your walls and prosperity within your fortresses. That's the kind of prayer it is. Uh, and so right there, Psalm 122.6, very good example of praying. I think one of the most interesting verses about praying for Israel is in Romans 10.1. And the reason is, you know, how many times have you told, been, we've been told we should pray for lost people, right? Mm-hmm. Not just pray for the people sharing the good news, but pray for people to open their hearts to the Lord. Pray for lost people. But there is only one verse in the whole Bible that's about praying for lost people, and it's in the book of Romans, and it's speaking specifically about praying for Israel. It says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them, and the context tells us it's Israel, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning Israel is for their salvation. So Paul is saying he longs for and prays for Israel's salvation, that Jewish people would come to know Jesus. So that's a second way we can pray for Israel. So I think those two general principles, or those specific principles of praying for the peace of Jerusalem, the protection of Jerusalem, and also praying for the salvation of Israel— those are important ways that we can pray for Israel, and I think that would expand us to say that if God calls us to pray for those things, we should be praying for uh, you know, Israel in general as well. Okay, kind so. of just extrapolating mm-hmm. that principle out. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Thank you for that question, Chuck. That's a good one. Um, Susan is in a ladies' Bible study, and they are studying Exodus. She's in Ohio, and they have come to the 10th plague. 
Most of the translations that they've looked at indicate that um, this was to be against the firstborn of man and beast, where the firstborn was killed. Mm -hmm. But a few say firstborn male. Every every household in Egypt was affected by the plague, but not every household would have had a firstborn male. So, for instance, I am the firstborn in my family. Um, so she's wondering, in Exodus 4.23, if firstborn male is implied in the narrative. Um, she says she's checked the Moody Bible commentary, and it just says firstborn. Thanks for your clarification. So, like, I as the firstborn, would I have been the one who died if we hadn't put the blood on our doorposts? Or would it, is it only the firstborn male? Uh, seems to me uh, that uh, she says that the HCSB says uh, firstborn, uh, male. firstborn man, yeah, male, but she doesn't give the reference. I do believe there's a reference somewhere uh, in Exodus 11 where it says firstborn male. Uh, so, uh, uh, sorry. Kind of, yeah. I know you're you're feverishly looking this up in your yeah. in your Hebrew Bible, um, but I did kind of just drop that one on you. I'm looking up he, um, Exodus four twenty three is the verse that she. Yeah, but that's that's. Oh, that's not, not it. That's not it. Uh, but you know what? Uh, I have an idea. Give me a break. Okay. And I'll give you the verse where it okay. says firstborn male. Okay? okay, we'll do that. Good. Uh, and then we'll go to the next question and then... Okay. Okay. All right. We'll check that one. Um, our next yeah. question is from Tony in Florida. Listen to WKES. Is repentance a condition of salvation? Well, that's so a really good idea. Could that's a, com- a good question. Could a completely <laughs> unrepentant Christian still enter the kingdom of heaven, or does unrepentance keep a Christian out of heaven? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I have a long, several questions answered about that in the book I wrote, 50 Most Important Bible Questions. Uh, and I think it's, it's a really important question. And let me just say, first of all, that we often think of repentance as feeling bad for the wrong things we've done. Mm-hmm. The Hebrew word for repentance is turn. The Greek word for repentance is change your mind. So, like, for example, in Acts 2... I think it's verse 38 where Peter calls for people to repent. What he, excuse me, when he said repent, he's referring to change your mind about Jesus. Same thing in Acts 3 when he's talking about the people who had rejected the Messiah. He tells them repent. The context is how are they supposed to change their mind? Change their mind about the Messiah. That's hmm. Acts 3, 18 or 19. I'm going to turn there okay uh he says uh therefore repent and turn back using the old testament term turn back and repent so that your sins may be uh washed away what are they turning on it's their rejection of the messiah in the previous verses okay the, the, they had rejected jesus the messiah he says change your mind okay uh i think the Best example, I, here's my understanding of repentance. It is, with faith, two sides of the same coin. What we do is we turn from what we used to believe, and we then embrace what we do believe. That's, that's what I would say. 
That's a, a good way of looking at it. Turn from what we used to believe, embrace what we once did, and then what, what we believe now. So turning from and embracing. First uh, Thessalonians 1, as I'm turning to it, says this. Uh, we know how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's repentance and faith in one, uh, the two sides of the same point. And that okay. was First Thessalonians one what? Uh, one ten. One ten. Okay. No, one one nine and ten. Okay. All right. So That's then, it. repentance would be a condition for yeah, salvation. Yeah, but it, it has to be understood. It's turning from what what we used to trust to. Whom we do trust. Okay. Okay. Right. That's it. that's what it is. Okay. So it's repentance and faith. Two sides of the same coin. Thanks for that, Trisha. That was Trisha McMillan. I'm going to be right back with more of your questions right here on Open Line. This is Michael Ray Dunlick. Stay with me. Open line. Uh, you know, people are asking me all the time about what's going on in Israel, and uh, you know, they're they're heartbroken about all those things. But, uh, and I think they should be. And I, the last caller was, at, or last question was asking about praying for the peace of Jerusalem and and things like that. So I think it's good. But there is a wonderful resource being offered right now that would be a great encouragement to pray for Israel. It's a book called Israel, the Land and the Book. It's a coffee size, coffee table size book with pictures of both the people and the land of Israel. I know that you're going to really, really like it. Uh, it's a great reminder as you look through it. You'll see what Israel's like, and you'll also be reminded to pray. Uh, I recommend that, that this book would be part of something you would really enjoy. Uh, and it's yours free. All you have to do is go to our website. It's being offered by Chosen People Ministries. So you go to our website, openlineradio.org, scroll down. You'll see a link at the bottom that says a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that, and they'll send you this wonderful coffee table size book with pictures of the land and the people of Israel. Click on that uh, free gift, and you'll be taken to the page so you can sign up for your own copy. Well, I've been looking up the idea of uh, the firstborn male, and the truth of it is that the word firstborn, which is the one who has the birthright, was limited to the male in the family. And so the very the very Hebrew word for firstborn that's used isn't just talking about every firstborn, but it's talking about the firstborn male. And you can see that especially because when the firstborn male is born in Exodus 13, uh, they, are, they belong to the Lord. Uh, and so uh, it's... Uh, in all the the areas where uh, it talks about uh, Israel's firstborn, it's talking about the males. It says uh, every male, so and so, and so uh, that's where it gets the idea that it's the firstborn male, because uh, you're to number every firstborn male in among the sons of Israel, and so that's the idea. The firstborns are generally the male. They're the ones that had the law of primogenitor. That's what it is. Okay, let's talk to Gail in Georgia, listening on WMBW. Welcome to Open Line, Gail. How can I help you today? Thank you for taking my call. Uh, yes, my question is about uh, 
First John uh, 5.16. In our Sunday school class, we we were doing a study on prayer, and we had a discussion about the sin unto death, and there were various opinions from blasphemy, um, unbelief, to unforgiveness. And I know that um, Moody Bible Commentary says it's apostasy and a, a continuing apostasy. But what I feel like I should pray for any of those sins, for someone who commits any of those sins, even if someone, for example, the person who brought me to the Lord is now saying that they're an atheist and they don't believe anymore. Well, I still pray for that person. So mm-hmm. could you clarify what is the sin sure. that we should not pray for? Uh, here's what the verse says. If anyone sees a brother committing a sin that does not bring death, he should ask, and God will give life to him. To those who commit sin that doesn't bring death, there is a sin that brings death. I am not saying he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin that does not bring death. The death it's talking about, I believe, is not eternal death, but physical death. There are some sins, like for example, uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 that there are people who are taking the Lord's Supper unworthily, and for that cause some of you are sick, and some even sleep, a euphemism for death. So uh, there are some sins that the Lord will actually take the person's life. If you can imagine, that's that's what it seems to say. Uh, but I don't think it's saying you should not pray for those people ever. I think what it's talking about is when they are on the when they're dying because of the Lord taking them, the person that needs to repent based on James five, uh, I think that passage where it talks about the people being on their deathbed and calling for the elders, that's a call for repentance and restoration. It's not just talking about illness. So it seems to me that that's what it is. It's saying by the time they are on their deathbed, uh, there's no point in you praying for them. They need to pray to repent. I suppose that you could pray to repent, that they would repent, but not pray their prayer of repentance for them. That's what I think that's talking about in 1 John 5. Thanks for listening. Thanks for that uh, question, and thanks for the first hour, folks. I can't believe the time's up. But there's a second hour of Open Line coming up straight ahead on most of these stations. Check out the Moody Radio app or the podcast if your station doesn't carry it. During the break, check out our webpage, openlineradio.org. You're going to find that a really helpful place for all the things you're looking for. Second hour of Open Line is coming up straight ahead with more questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.